If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the book of Hebrews chapter number 13. The book of Hebrews chapter number 13. We're going to be looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture under the guise or under the um, a series that we kind of started last week. We talked about the blessings of being a believer. You know, this world looks at us Christians as though we just uh, are, are living a subpar life. We can't enjoy all of the, uh, the opportunities that life affords, that we, uh, we're, just, we're just missing out uh, on, on everything, everything that life has to offer. When in reality, there are certain blessings that are characteristic of the child of God that far exceed what this world and all that is surrounding us have to offer. And that's what I'm going to be doing and looking at in these series of messages over the next several weeks. And today, I want us to look at the blessing of companionship. Last week, we looked at the blessing of confidence. Paul said, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. You know, these would be some verses that might be good to put in your mind as memory. Uh, maybe to focus in on the weeks to come, to lodge them in our hearts because they are such a benefit, such a blessing to us. And today, we're going to look at another familiar one. And we're going to talk about the blessing of companionship. And when I talk about companionship, I'm talking about the ever-present companionship of our God. Hebrews 13, look with me at verse 5 and 6. I tell you what, let's start at the beginning. I want to give you a feel for what's taking place in this final chapter. Start back with me in verse number 1. Uh, chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bond with them, bound with them, and, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, here it is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I want us to look at that phrase and these verses in their context. But I want to focus and surround our thoughts with God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And I want to talk about the rich blessing of God's companionship. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you now and ask that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to our hearts. But that is vain unless our hearts are open to hear what you have to say. So God, I pray that every one of us in this room would have a, an attitude of openness. God, speak to me. God, let us say like Samuel, Speak, Lord, thy servant listeneth, thy servant heareth. God, I pray you'd open our hearts to hear what you have to say. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would come and take the simple truth and the scattered thoughts that we're going to lay out before us and combine them uh, to do Spiritual nourishment to our souls. Help us this morning. God, assure us of the, the rich blessing of your presence that will never be gone from our lives. God, we pray you would help us to hear your admonitions as well. Part and partial with the courage, encouragement are your commands. God, I pray that we would have a, a willing heart to obey what you have to say. Father, help us this morning. God, we pray for the lost. I, I think I know everyone in this room. I think I can speak with confidence that all of us in this room know the Lord Jesus, but you know the heart. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work to open blinded eyes and cause the, the blinded soul to see Christ as the 
the gem of salvation. And may they reach out with a hand of faith and receive what you have prepared for them in Christ Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. On De- in December of 1977, the wife of Dr. J. Sidlow Baxter died. Now that may not mean a lot to you, but J. Sidlow Baxter, as time would show, was a very insightful Christian theologian and author. His book, he's got a large, thick book where he uh, basically goes through the whole Bible and just uncovers nugget after nugget of truth through God's Word. Great author. I highly encourage you to read after J. Sidlow Baxter. But this theologian, his wife died in seven, late 77. And when a family friend called to sympathize with him and offer whatever assistance that he may have, Dr. Baxter related his present condition with them. And I, I love what he had to say. Listen closely. He said, I am lonely, but I'm not alone. You think about this man who had been had a long marriage with his wife, his now wife now passed away, and he is alone in his household. But yet at the same time, he said, I am not alone. Now, although what he said may sound like it is a conflicting statement, J. Sidlow Baxter was relating his confidence in the promise that God would never leave him, that God would never forsake him. You know, the promise of God's constant companionship is the blessing. It is the birthright. It's something that we as people of God, if you've claimed the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if there's a time in your life where you have wholeheartedly embraced him and you've been regenerated from the inside out and you've become a child of God, then this is your birthright. This is something that you possess by birth in the family of God. And that is the rich promise of God's constant, attentive presence in your life. This text today, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, is almost like a beautiful gem that every one of us needs to bind around our neck and near our heart. It's something we ought to wear every day to be constantly reminded of that we are never left alone. Here in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, we see three critical instructions concerning our individual companionship with God. That if allowed, if allowed, God will assure us of divine accompaniment and Though we may encounter times of loneliness, we can say with J. Sidwell Baxter, although I am lonely, I am not alone. That's what we need. We need to know that he is always with us. We need to have the relationship that Enoch had when he walked with God. In the presence, we need to have that. You know, God is all about companionship in our relationship to God. It's it's been that from the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, what did it say of God? That He came and walked with Adam in the cool of the day. God's companionship with us is what we are birthed into as being saved by God's grace, members of the family of God. And so I want us to lay hold of this and the principles that come from Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6. And I want us to see... First of all, there's three instructions. The first instruction is this, that we must heed the precautions of God's companionship. Now, it's interesting to note in this last chapter of the book of Hebrews that the author, and that's why I read from verse number 1, he he goes through machine gun application. I don't know if you've ever read, I think it's the book of maybe 2 Thessalonians or 1 Thessalonians, toward the end of the book, it's almost like machine gun applications or admonishments. He quickly is telling us principles by which we should live by, things we should do, things we should remember. And that's what he's doing. I'm not saying that Paul is the author 
of the book of Hebrews because we simply don't know. People can argue all they want about it, but we just don't know. Maybe Apollos, maybe Paul, maybe someone else. We don't know. But we know this at the end, that there is this, there is this quick series of admonishments. And those series of admonishments bring us down to verse number 5. And it says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be continue, contented with such things as you have, for he hath said. Now, we could have left the first part of that verse alone. It could have been a standalone admonishment, but he relates it. When he says, when he connects that, that caution about covetousness, with the final verses in verse number 5 about never leaving, never forsaking. So there's something to be said about a a, a precaution here that would limit uh, the enjoyment of companionship with God. That's why I call it a precaution. It's like the Hebrew author is cautioning us about what would endanger our our. A companionship with God. Let's first of all, let's break it apart. Look first of all at covetousness is condemned. Verse number five, he said, let your conversation be without covetousness. Now you know, uh, if you studied your Bible any length of time, we talked about it when we went through our Bible study in Philippians. That word conversation is not necessarily in our Bible, what we're reading here, not necessarily what we would think conversation is uh, uh, in, in just general talk. Like, for example, when we came in this morning, we were, we were talking, we were having a conversation. But that's not what is meant here. He's not talking about our talk. He's talking about, whenever you see this word conversation in the New Testament, he's talking about our manner of life, our day-to-day routine of life. Uh, the, the author is saying, as you go about your living of your life, the day after day, Don't be caught up in covetousness. Covetousness is what he's guarding against. Our manner of life should exclude covetousness. Now, that word covetous, translated covetousness here, is a word that literally means without affection for silver. That's exactly the the phrasing that is meant here. The love of money... The love of possessions, because they're linked together, has an impact. It crowds out the companionship with God. The experience of being companioned with God. We live in a world that is consumed with covetousness. Always wanting that which is out of reach. Covetousness is engraved in the seed, the fallen seed of Adam. Matter of fact, we could go back to the Garden of Eden and Eve's, uh, one of Eve's first premier sins was that she saw the fruit was good to eat. That which God had said no to, she wanted. She, she coveted, uh, uh, coveted after. And so it's always been around with us. We always have a tendency uh, to be covetousness. One day, I love the story about Abraham Lincoln. One day, Abraham Lincoln was walking down the street in Springfield, Illinois. This is when he was a younger man, a lawyer in Springfield. And his two small boys were with him, and they were both just wailing and crying as their father held their hand. A neighbor come by and said, what's wrong? What's the matter with the boys? Abraham Lincoln wisely said, just the same as what's matter with the what's the matter with the whole world. I've got three walnuts and each boy wants two. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, the, the desire, the covetousness. Covetousness destroys the greatest of the blessings of the Christian life, the companionship of God. Now, companionship is not the same as general presence. We're going to get into this a little later. It doesn't mean that if I am, if I am fallen in, in enveloped in covetousness over certain eyes, which we're all prone to, which we're all entangled in from time to time, that does not mean that God abandons us. He leaves us. 
It just means that there is no companionship. You see what I'm saying? I believe this is a clear indication of companionship. Notice, notice uh, Colossians 3.5. Listen to what it says. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which is sexual immorality, and covetousness. And then he says this, which is idolatry. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking about covetousness here, and he describes it as idolatry. There's a difference, like I said, between companionship and relationship. That's where I'm going here. Listen to this. Two people can be married. All of us in here have a marital relationship. I don't have to say men to anybody. All of us know what it means to be married. And I think you'll agree with me here. Two people can be married. They can have a marriage certificate that says they're married that is not easily broken at all. And those two can break off a companionship. Now, they're still married, but they're not being companions one with another. You know what I'm talking about? There's a fuss. There's a discussion. There's a, there's a uh, I don't want to call it a fight. We're not talking about slinging fists here. We're talking about uh, a dispute, uh, 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 a firmly worded conversation between a husband and wife that can temporarily break off fellowship, companionship, sense that I don't even want to be in the, the same room with you. I'm going this side of the house, you're going to this side of the house kind of thing. But doesn't mean that you're not related anymore. You're still married. I'm sorry. It's still there. You're still married. You still got a relationship, but it's out of fellowship or it's out of that companionship. You see, God will not fellowship or companions with those that place objects above the Almighty. Because I want you to understand something. That when you are locked up in covetousness or idolatry, as Paul puts it in the Colossian letter, when you're wrapped up in that, you will know nothing of the joy of God's companionship. And when that when that idol falls, when it's broken, when you realize it has ears and doesn't hear, has hands that doesn't touch, has a tongue that doesn't speak, when you realize that those things that you so coveted after and long for evaporate, you'll not sense that companionship that you could have had with God. You get your eyes off of God. Notice, covetousness is condemned. We, we see that in verse 5. But then also, contentment is key. Contentment is key. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Here's the opposite. And be content with such things as you have. People, someone once identified contentment as the point in time in which your earning power equals your yearning power. Well, I don't know. I don't know exactly if that ever actually happens. You know, uh, the, more, the more money you have, the more money you want kind of thing. I, I don't know that that ever really happens. But that's not what's being spoken of here. In this passage, it indicates contentment is to be satisfied. Satisfied. Uh, Bible scholar Kenneth West uh, wrote in his, uh, in his uh, commentary on this passage of scripture he said this word contentment it refers to the ability of the Christian dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be independent of outward circumstances did you catch that it refers to the ability of the Christian who is dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be independent of outward circumstances man how true is that? It, it means that no matter what takes place, what highs, what lows take place, I can be satisfied if I find that satisfaction in Him, in His presence. In other words, to be satisfied with 
our present circumstance in God. The present circumstances of the Hebrew readers were perilous. These Hebrews were scattered, and if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll get a sense in which these people are going through heavy persecution, and they are wavering on their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Or they are making the decision as to who is Savior, what to make of this whole Jesus. This is a book of arguments for Christ to be Savior. And these Hebrew readers were in perilous danger, persecuted, and in difficult times. And the author is saying, hey, be content. How do you be content? when things hurt so bad? How can you be satisfied in such isolating and defeating surroundings? The companionship of God by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit can tip the scales from defeat to victory. No matter our circumstances, if we find our satisfaction and contentment in Him will never be failed. Listen, if you find your satisfaction and contentment in your spouse, as wonderful as they are, help me, thank God for my spouse, Carrie and your spouse, but if you, if you find all of your contentment in who they are, I promise you they'll fail you. Contentment is to be found in putting all of our care and our trust and our our contentment in Christ Jesus, to be satisfied in Him. I wonder, are you satisfied? Can you be satisfied? Is there always this further condition? If I if I just am in this position, if I just make this kind of money, if I just am in this kind of living situation, if I just had this kind of employment or job, it's always something else. I tell you, you are in danger of, number one, being discontented and also on borderline covetousness. Are you satisfied? Do you find the things of life like drinking salt water? All you can do is drink more and more and more. All it does is make you more and more thirsty, never being satisfied with where you are. Oh, what a lesson for our hearts to be satisfied. Not necessarily complacent. There's a fine line between the two, but I think there can be a distinction. Not complacent. I don't want to sit and say everything's fine is good. I don't want to go any further. I don't want to go back. I just want to tread water, you know, kind of thing. We're not talking about complacent. I don't ever want to be complacent in my relationship with God, in my relationship with my wife, in my my, uh, vocation. I, I don't necessarily want to be complacent and just stay where I am. I want to be progressed, but I don't want it to possess me. I want to be possessed of God. I want His strength. His, I want Him to be the object of my contentment. Not anything around. Not, not, my, not my current level of, of treading water in life. So heed the precautions. When the author of Hebrews tells us of God never leaving us and never forsaking us, it's not without a precondition. And the precondition is to guard ourselves from covetousness, guard ourselves from discontent, and find our contentment in God. That's what he's pointing to. Covetousness, guard against covetousness, be content for. How can I be content? Because he said he'll never leave me and never forsake me. He's always there. Find contentment. In the presence of God in your life. Not in the presence of a companion. Not in the presence of a job. Not in the presence of a church. Not anything else. In God's presence, find contentment. Second instruction I believe we can draw from these verses is to hold the promise of God's companionship. Be content with such things as you have. He ends the verse. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
The promise of Christ's presence has been the fail-safe of many a servant of God. I think about the story of David Livingston. Uh, a lot of people may know one phrase, David Livingston, or Dr. Livingston, I presume. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but a lot of people don't know what it's connected to. It's connected to the missionary statesman, uh, uh, David Livingston, who was one of the first white missionaries to go to Africa and to try to reach the African people with the gospel. And uh, he was on a journey deep into the heart of Africa. And one particular night, he found himself surrounded the drum beats of his enemies in the night drolled on all night long as they looked forward to tomorrow's fight against these white intruders. And, and uh, David Livingston went into his uh, prayer tent, his tent, and began to pray and write in his journal. And he remembered the, the passage of Scripture, Matthew 28, I believe verse number 19, where it says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Very, uh, not, I, will, I will be with thee always, even to the end of the world. Matthew 28, I think 28 or, or 19, somewhere at the end in, uh, of Matthew chapter 28. He said, and lo, I am with thee always. He was talking about that verse, about Christ's constant companionship to always be with him. And he wrote this in his journal. It is the word of a gentleman of the strictest and most sacred honor. He trusted that word, that God would be with him, that Christ is with him. Come what may tomorrow. He could never lose that presence of God. That's companionship. Notice, first of all, when we talk about hold the promise, we see, first of all, God will never be absent. Look at verse number 5. I will never leave thee. Many of fathers today are known as what are deadbeat dads or absentee fathers. It's, it's almost reached epidemic proportions in our society at the number of single mothers that are trying to raise children without a husband or a father. They're simply not there to hold up, to strengthen and to encourage their children. The word leave here in our text, I will never leave thee. The word leave here is preceded by a double negative. Now, a double negative is a no-no in English. You know, if we say, uh, if you use a double negative, it's kind of like math. They cancel each other out and it becomes a positive. It's, it's weird. You know, you can do a double negative and not actually mean what you're trying to say. I Believe me, I've done it before. And so... A double negative in English does not translate well. But in the Greek, a double negative is a double emphasis. I will never, never, in, in its original language, in the wording, the structure, I will never, never leave thee. It's a, it's a double emphasis. It's a strong wording. God is saying that He will not, He will not, I will not, I will not ever abandon thee. That's the wording. That's exactly what He said. I will not, I will not abandon you. Some children and even adults have lived their whole lives with the pain of an absent parent. A parent that at one point was there and then abandoned, walked away. <coughs> history is replete with stories of individuals who walked away from their family God promises right here will never never leave them you know that's one of the <coughs> heaviest burdens of being a parent is because oftentimes our children have their first <coughs> inklings of what God is like from our words and activity. It's one of the hardest things to swallow as a parent is that they get their first theological bent of what they think God is like from you, Mama, and from you, Daddy. That's hard. Because oftentimes, if that is the case, then some of us can feel as though at any moment God could leave us, forsake us, that God, it's like 
at any moment, God might not be there when I need Him the most. That God will walk away, just simply throw up His hands and silently, without a word, walk away. That He will relax His grip and let us go. I was um, talking to another pastor uh, years ago. This is a conversation that I remembered and, and how that how the struggle of being a pastor and a parent and, and working a, a full-time job by vocational ministry, the strain on it. And I, I talked about how I feared that it will be great harm to my children because sometimes I just can't be there. I can't do what uh, I need to do sometimes just because I can't be there. And my friend in the ministry said this, be there as much as you can. Do your best. But the truth is that you can't be there all the time. You can't always be available to them. The only one that can fulfill that need is the Lord Jesus. There have been many marriages that are on the verge of failure because they are looking to their spouse to fulfill the needs that only God can do. That only Christ can do. God will never be absent. God will never, you'll never turn around and all of a sudden God be gone. Because He has promised us, I will never leave thee. Notice second of all, God will, not ne God will never be absent. God will never abandon. Look at what He said here. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The word forsake here carries with it the picture of a forsaking someone in the state of defeat or hopelessness in the midst of hostile circumstances. You know, imagine, imagine a military force and, and the commander wants a certain unit to drive in around a flank or the end of a line and they do so but it's not going well, and then the commander tells everybody else to pull out and leaves them behind. That's the picture here. They're in a battle. They're expecting reinforcements. They're expecting to be back, and then all of a sudden they turn, and they're forsaken. Help's not coming. They're by themselves. That's the picture that is relayed here. When we are bombarded blow after blow from life and the enemy and what it seems to be the position uh, to receive the knockout punch, God writes in triple negative, I will never, 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 never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never leave you in the lurch. I'll never leave you in a situation, in a circumstance of absolute defeat. Somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He'll always be there. I remember the story. It's been coming back in my mind over and over the past week of 2 Kings, chapter number 6. Elisha's ministry is at this time. Gehazi was the young servant that was with him. Elisha was able to tell the king of Israel all of the movements of the Syrian army. The, the commander of the Syrian army thought he had a traitor among him, but he didn't. Because Elisha was being told by God the movements of the Syrian army. And that one of the servants who was in the know uh, said, how, does, how do they know? How do they know what we're about to do every single time? And one of the servants says, the prophet Elisha is able to hear in his bedchamber what you're about to do. God's telling him what's going on. And so uh, this general of the Syrian army, he wants to know where is Elisha. We'll, we'll take care of him. We'll cut him out of the equation. That way nobody knows what we're about to do and we'll take the Israelite army. They're well under, they're well under uh, they don't have enough military uh, to fend us off if they don't know what we're doing. And the servants, oh, he's down in Dothan. Well, 
the king, the general for all the Syrian army, they go riding down to Dothan and Gehazi and, and uh, Elisha wake up in the morning and they go outside, they look around the mountains and hills around and, and, and all around them is the Syrian army surrounding one prophet and his servant. The Syrian army is everywhere. And Gehazi, in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, Gehazi said, Oh, Master, what shall we do? Gehazi is saying, Oh, look, look, we're completely surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elisha says these words to the, to the frightened servant, They that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Gehazi is like, how's that possible? Can you not see all the enemy around them? Then Elisha says, oh Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden the eyes of Gehazi were opened. And he could see the chariots and the armies of God all around them. God had a situation well in hand even though he, the Gehazi was blinded to it, Elisha saw it by faith, did not have to see it with his eyes, but opened the eyes of his servant so that he might see the armies of God. I say all that to say this, God will never abandon us. I may feel alone in that back bedroom where I cry my eyes out, where I don't know what's going on, but I can be assured that he promised, I'll never forsake thee, I'll never leave you in a lurch, I'll always be there. I might not have to have my eyes open. God help me not to have to have my eyes open to see the heavenly host that surround me with the presence of our God. Warren Wiersbe wrote, God has never forsaken you. You may have felt as though God abandoned you, but God has never forsaken you. If God forsook you for one second, you would die. And how true that is. How true that is. Heed the precautions of God's companionship. Hold the promise of God's companionship. I'll never leave thee. I'll never forsake thee. Hold that promise. Grasp to it. Have a firm grip on it. Last of all, hope in the product of God's companionship. When we have the companionship, the promise, when we lay hold of that, when we discard our covetous heart and find satisfaction in that companionship, that promise of God to be with us, what is the product? What is produced in that moment? Look at these words. For he has said, uh, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake. Notice the phrase, for he hath said. This is supposed to be a quotation. Of, an, of a different scripture. I believe it comes from Joshua 1 through 5. Listen, or Joshua 1 5. Listen to what it says. God says to Joshua, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, I will nor forsake thee. He told that to Joshua. I believe this is a quotation of what God told Joshua. So what God told Joshua, God says to you, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. This very promise emboldened Joshua to take a ragtag, ill-equipped, outnumbered group of refugees and conquer the inhabitants of the land of God's promise. This promise will do the same for us. The product of that promise was victory for the children of God that lived in faith and trusted that promise. And notice, first of all, he tells us a little bit of the result of this promise in the following verse, verse 6. Notice an inward confidence. He says, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Notice the first part of that. The Lord is my helper. The presence of God is enough. It's more than enough. Such a promise can cause the child of God to roar like a lion. What we find in verse 6, The Lord is my helper. 
When God is at my side, when God is with me, when I am in fellowship with my God, what can anyone do to me? The intimidation of the isolation of life, the devastation of the difficulties of life melt away when we cling to the promise of God's companionship. I remember an instance years ago that illustrated this truth so much to me. That confidence in God's presence as we walk through life. One night at my previous pastor, well, I had to do it every night. Every, after every Sunday night or every service, Wednesday night in the winter when it was dark, pitch black, I had to lock up the church. We lived in the parsonage right next to the church. and I locked up. And so every night, this is how it went. I went to the front door Locked the two front doors, turned the lights off in the foyer, turned the lights off in the little foyer. You know, churches are like mazes. We just build and build and build and build wherever we can. That foyer, this foyer, and when I go into the main building, kind of like us here, I have to turn off the lights on the outside. So imagine I turn off the lights in the main foyer. Those doors are locked. I have to go out at the other end of the building at a side door and then lock that behind me. Well, when you turn off the lights, it gets pitch black. Matter of fact, the previous pastor, they didn't have any windows. <laughs> the, the previous pastor that built that church didn't want anybody looking out the window, so he put no windows in the church. So when you turned off the light, complete darkness, okay? And the previous pastor, a couple of previous pastors before, broke his arm trying to do the same thing that I was doing that night. Tripped over the altar, broke his arm, and he had windows, little slits cut into the brick building so he could at least see by a little bit of light. Well, I'm walking, and it's pitch black. You know, it's really dark, even with those openings. And Evan, my nine-year-old son, is with me that night. Now, he's all big and brave. He's nine years old. You know, he's no baby or whatever. But when you turn out them lights, it got really dark. You know, ain't nothing more creepy than the dark church. Amen. At night, it gets creepy. Every pop, you think's a demon, you know. And so, we're, he, I turn off all the lights. I'm starting to make my way down. He's in the sanctuary, and those lights go out, and I couldn't see him hard at all. And he could barely see me. And I could sense he was getting a little bit antsy because it was taking me a little bit of time to get there. And my son's not one to grab my hand and hold it. Kaylin, my goodness, she's 12 years old and still has to hold my arm, hold my hand. She's got to be touching me and hold me wherever we go together. Well, everyone that way. But as soon as I got near him, I felt his little hand reach out and grab a hold of mine and squeeze, squeeze real tight as we navigated through that creepy dark church and out... You know, I had to count how many rows I'd fill them with my hand. I get to that last row, I turn this way and turn that way and I can make my way out. There was something about my hand. Even in the darkness, he couldn't see me. There was something about holding my hand that gave him confidence to walk with me through the darkest of periods. I praise God that in the darkest times of my life I have been able to shakingly reach out and know that the hand of God is with me that he'll never leave me nor forsake me listen he will do the same for you know this confidence don't go through life without it I will never leave thee lo I am with thee always I'll never forsake thee I'm not going anywhere I don't know how many times especially early in our marriage, I had to reassure Carrie, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. One that had been abandoned in certain instances in her life, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. Here God pours into our hearts, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. This inward confidence is now changed to outward courage. Look at what it says. The Lord is my helper. That's an inward confidence. That's a God word confidence. But then what he, look what he says. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. An outward courage. An inward confidence, an outward courage. The phrase, the phrase, verse number 6, and I shall not fear what man shall do to me. The phrase is actually equivalent to this. No fear. No fear. How many of you remember years ago that was a fad? That was kind of a fad. People had 
no fear t-shirts. You know, you'd see them skydive at the, out, of the, out of the airplane or jump off buildings with parachutes and uh, they'd ride motorcycles and do triple flips in the air and let go of the handlebars and grab them again. And they'd, they'd, they'd have these stickers and t-shirts, no fear, no fear. The truth of the matter is when it comes to eternal matters, fear of death is written in the heart of every individual. There's not a single individual on this planet that would not say at the point of death, I don't want to die. The phrase uh, is no fear. Only the companionship of God brings us to a place of no fear, of confidence. We can have courage to face whatever is before us with the confidence that God's presence gives to us. He says, what shall man do unto me? If God is my companion, if God is present with me and nothing escapes His sight and nothing escapes His wisdom and strength, what can possibly this, what, this, what can this life possibly do to me? You know, this verse number 6, it is much akin to Romans 8.31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I, we could phrase it, put these together. If God be with me, if He'll never forsake me, if He's always with me, if God be with me, who can stand against me? Who can stand against us? Vance Havner, in the, the quaint way he could turn a phrase, said it this way. When you're accustomed to standing before God, kings don't much matter. Big potentates are small potatoes when you have been standing in the presence of the Most High. I'll tell you what, you get in that morning devotional time when you can... Get that Bible and you can stand in God's presence and pray to Him and read His Word and meditate on Him. When you can get that, that whisper of God's Word to your heart, I'm telling you, there's nothing you cannot face in the day ahead. Who can, sta who, who can stand against us when God is by our side? The old hymn, which we'll sing in a minute, I couldn't help it. The old hymn writer had it right when he said this, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. So true. God's not in the business of forsaking you. There have been so many times where I've had, I've had to wonder, to be honest. Maybe it's the covetousness of my own heart that makes God seem distant. Maybe it's my own idolatry, not finding my everything in Him. But there have been times where I've wondered about His presence. But listen, like Elisha, I must have faith in His presence. I dare say God's not going to show the chariots that surround your house or surround your companion or whatever. I, I can't know the reason God, and oftentimes He's not going to open your eyes to let you see it. That's why we have to trust Him. We have to trust His wisdom, His kindness, His grace, His ever-present knowing. The reality is that God is, by His omnipresence, with everyone. You know, I have to tell you this as well. God is with the worst sinner you can possibly imagine. The pedophile down the street, the thief down the valley. God's with them to a certain extent just because of His omnipresence. He sees all. He's in every place at one time. But there is a day when that will cease for those that refuse the offer of God's saving grace in Christ Jesus. We that know Him experience His presence as being a part of His family. Those that do not know Him in saving faith experience His presence as an ever-present judge. Condemnation abideth upon them which believe not the gospel. We need to know that God is with us. I think about, when you think about the absence of that presence, I'm reminded of 
Matthew chapter number 7, the close of the Sermon on the Mount, before, before Jesus' parable about the sandy foundation and the rock foundation, he talks about one that says, Have we not cast out demons, said mighty things, and done great deeds? And Jesus said, Depart from me, I never knew ye, ye that work iniquity. That, that is the abandonment of God that none of us ever want to know. If you're here today without the Lord Jesus, come know Him in saving faith. Put your trust in Jesus before it's too late. But you that are, if you know the Lord Jesus, there's something to be said about the confidence in, that we can have in the companionship of God. We, we can live in faith knowing He's with us. Sometimes that may be discomforting to know that He's always with us, but He is. We can live in confidence knowing that He's with us. Let's stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to a time of invitation. If you're here today, I don't know what you're going through, what you've been through. You may be in the fires of confrontation right now. The battle is raging at its highest. If you know the Lord Jesus in saving faith, if you've trusted Him and been born again, I want to assure you God has never abandoned you and He will not abandon you. You come, maybe unburdened. Maybe, God, I need you to open my eyes. I, I, need, to, I, I need to know from Your Word. I need to, it needs to take lodge in my heart. Oh, God, help me to embrace the reality. Holy Spirit, Give your assurance. That's what you need. Give the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Thank you for the presence of God in our lives. Thank you that we can live in confidence in the companionship of God. That He promises never to leave, never to say. Guard our hearts, Father. We're so prone to covetousness, to wanting more and more of what this world has to offer us. God, let us have contentment. Let us focus our eyes off of the dangling, uh, the, uh, the, the beautiful entreaties of this world, the, uh, the fruit of this world. And let us look to you, Father. Let us find our contentment and satisfaction in you. Don't let us be complacent. Let us keep following you. Let us keep progressing. But God, not for the not for the salt water of this earth, but for following you and what you would have us to do. The direction and path of our greatest service to you. God, I pray you'd help us to know something about your presence in our life. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.